Today's TribCast is presented by Lone Star College. Lone Star College and Google will offer IT support professional certificates beginning in the fall of 2018. LSC was one of 25 community colleges nationwide chosen by Grow with Google. And Texas Central, North Texas to Houston in 90 minutes. The bullet train is good for Texas and will accelerate the state's economy. More at TexasCentral.com. Texas Talking this is Mark Duvoisin. I'm the editor of the San Antonio Express News, which has been the voice of South Texas since 1865. That's 29 years after the Battle of the Alamo which was fought two blocks from our offices in downtown San Antonio. You can find us on the newsstand or at expressnews.com. And now, here's your host, Emily Ramshaw. Thank you. This is Emily Ramshaw here on Wednesday. No, it's not Wednesday. Thursday, July 5th with your Texas getting, Tribune TribCast. Getting Troop off guys. to a great start. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, it's funny because I actually keep feeling like today is Monday, but it's not Monday. Uh, you know, I was, I was actually complaining yesterday that it felt like a Sunday where we had to go to work did. the next yeah, day. Yeah, really. Totally. So I looked for all my HBO weekend. shows last night. <laughs> oh, oh, did you? Really? Oh, sad trombone over no John Oliver. Is that what it is? Concerned about the where's Ballers? Is that That's kind of your speed. Ballers is in the back, yeah. That's a great show. Though. You are all yeah. meeting these people again already, but uh, I'm joined by CEO Evan Smith. Yeah, fine. <laughs> sure. I'm glad you. Thanks for joining us. Political um, reporter Patrick Svitek. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. It's a good Thursday afternoon. <laughs> <There you laughs> yes. Go. Healthcare reporter Marissa Evans. Hey, y'all. Spitek is so weird. I don't understand. <laughs> You're all weird. He's just, well, aw- he's just awkward at moments like this. You're I don't not know. awkward, Patrick. Don't listen oh to Evan. You're uh, Marissa awkward. likes the spotlight. Patrick's feeling awkward, awkward on the trip. Patrick cast. likes his HBO. I'm just, I'm just pissed. Uh, well, pissed at everybody. Luckily for me, we have uh, reporter Emma Platoff joining us here in a minute. Not awkward on the trip. She's cast. No, plat off stage at the moment. Yes. <laughs> That's excellent, Evan. Thank you very much. I'm here for the dad jokes. <laughs> we'll be taking your questions via Facebook and Twitter, so please send them our way. Um, Marissa, I want to start with you, mm-hmm. and I want to talk about um, a story that you wrote this week around uh, maternal mortality and midwives in Poland. And I first have to ask how you managed to get a Texas Tribune trip <laughs> for a story to Poland on this particular topic. It seems like a stretch. I mean, it, I mean, you still said yes. <laughs> it's true. Uh, I was using Evan's we'll, dollars. We'll say yes to anything as long as we're not paying <laughs> I mean, for right. it. So the Pulitzer Center on Crisis Reporting helped sponsor that trip. And, you know, when I first got to the Tribune in 2016, one of the big headlines was maternal mortality and how Texas has seen this major spike and no one knew why. And something I noticed on Twitter, on these studies, was everyone was trying to make the comparison that Texas was just like had numbers just like Mexico or Turkey. And, you know, it's one thing to say that, but I'm like, well, what are these other countries that have a really low maternal mortality actually doing that makes it so low? And so to try and bring solutions journalism to the table, (laughs) uh, that's when I kind of started looking at, you know, 
what other countries are doing really well. Um, and that's how we kind of came up with Poland. You know, it's between Poland, Finland, and Greece that have some of the lowest maternal mortality rates in the world. And most editors here told me they would have chosen Greece. It's true. Uh, <laughs> I definitely would have chosen Greece. Mykonos, personally, I'm really interested in the maternal mortality rate there. <laughs> so, okay, so you chose Poland, mm -hmm. and, and you chose Poland in theory because Poland mm -hmm. and Texas have a lot right. of things in common. What I, are those things right. in common? Part of the stretch for some people, but it's true. You know, we have comparable populations, multi-millions of people. Poland's actually bigger than Texas, yeah, right? Yeah, bigger Which than I Texas. I didn't know. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those forgotten parts, I would argue, of Eastern Europe. You know, when I showed up, they were very surprised to see me for a variety <laughs> of reasons. Um, uh, and, you know, it's the population size. You know, they have very conservative governments, also always making headlines over anti-abortion issues. But, you know, what really struck me was how they're able to keep the maternal mortality rate so low and how, despite having these similar policy ideas, we're able, are able to do that. And obviously there's a difference in healthcare systems and everything, but. Well, that, that seems to be the response mm -hmm. to your story initially was, mm -hmm. well, yeah, it's easy not to have high mm -hmm. maternal mortality rates when you actually pay for healthcare. If you have healthcare right. for everybody, then you get to keep maternal mortality rates down. And if you mm -hmm. don't do that, then you, and now that was a simplified it's a start. response. Right. But sometimes a simple answer is the correct answer. Exactly, and I mean, obviously they have a public health system that people pay into and it works, you know, there are people, obviously there's long queues, there's still like all these concerns over what that means. There are women who are waiting for OBGYNs, just like in Texas. There's like everywhere else in the world, high C-section rates that doctors there are concerned about. So it's not a perfect system, but when you look at how pregnant women are taken care of in Poland, that to me was what really made the story pop, was the, the fact that you have midwives involved, that you have women who are, who families who are being paid once they have a certain number of children to help with the cost of raising kids because kids right. are expensive. Yes, I know. So does Evan. <laughs> so, so talk a little bit about their emphasis on midwives because that's something, and, and do a little comparison to mm -hmm. Texas because that's something we don't really um, emphasize here in Texas and that is emphasized, you know, in much of the world, including in Europe. I mean, I, I think the big thing people have to think about is looking at how we portray midwifery here in America. I mean, any other TV show you watch on, that has like a midwife episode, she's like, she or he is like throwing sage around the kid or the mom, you know, and we just have these very voodoo ideas of midwifery. And that's not what it is. They offer nutrition counseling. They offer prenatal care, all these important things that moms need here in Texas. And so we haven't evolved very much, I think, as a, in America when it comes to use of midwifery, use of how they can actually help the childbirthing process. I think we should, I think the sidebar, I think every trip cast should just have Marissa well, dashing into the, the scene just saying midwifery. Oh, and then just leave. I thought you were I mean, going to talk about like her waving the, no, sage. The, well, she, she wants to wave sage, that's <laughs> no. fine, but it's the best word. It, it is. A, it's I, a pretty good word. I mean, some people call midwifery. it midwifery. No, there's a reporter here at the Tribune who thought it was midwifery. Um, and so Come on. I, I had to, no, name, I, I, name I'm not going to name names. I, I keep my sources, you know, but I, I told them, no, it's midwifery. They're like, really? I was like, yeah, don't be that person saying midwifery. Midwifery. <laughs> midwifery. Well, I told Marissa this this morning, and guys, like, don't freak out. But uh, I went to the doctor this morning. I went Important. to the OB-GYN this morning who said to me, basically, when they delivered my baby, I had a midwife. I went to, I was so pumped about going to this Austin um, clinic that offered midwives in addition to doctors, right? 
what you look like you're going to say. Well, I'm just like, snarky. where is this going? I'm going to tell you where it's going. <laughs> actually, okay. I'm going to tell you exactly you where it's going. You're breaking news? No, actually, Marissa already at I, I did. I said the exact same thing. My breaking news is I'm done having children. But women still go to the doctor. So, and when I went in today, I said, oh, you know, where the where's the midwife, Leanne, who, you know, was mm -hmm. always one of the midwives who was there. And she, they said, you know what? We just became part of the Austin Regional Clinic Network. And... Uh, you know, one after the other, the midwives are leaving because we make it so hard mm -hmm. for them to work here in Texas. And I was stunned because this is like, you know, the place where I'd gone specifically mm -hmm. because they were midwives and midwives like nurse practitioners in Texas, you know, can't don't get the same credit. They can't mm -hmm. get the same number of hours. Right. They have to be affiliated with a doctor. They can't practice on their own. And it is, you know, something other countries and states make this a hell of a mm -hmm. lot easier than Texas does. I mean, what are the what are the numbers look like? How many midwives does Poland have versus how many does Texas have? Poland has 22,000 midwives, active midwives, whereas here in Texas we have like 711 right. currently working right now, and that's including. 22,000 versus, versus less than 1,000. 22,000 are paid for by the state, by, by the country, state. Well, they're the, probably they're they're reimbursed. Just, yeah, they're yeah. reimbursed. Existential yeah. sense. I yeah. mean, people don't have to pay for that stuff themselves. Right. I mean, they can, but, you know. Is there an, is there an yeah. insurance issue here that insurance as a general rule in this country, not just in Texas, but generally does not cover midwifery? Yeah, I was that, looking for an excuse to say yep, that. The, 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 the mid are so silly. <laughs> yeah. Mine was covered because it, if they're affiliated mm -hmm. with doctors, you can get then it. They, it. Then they would be covered. Yes, but it's right. the whole issue, again, like with so nurse So it's not necessarily an insurance coverage issue. Right. This is about more state policy. And, you know, the yeah. doctors say basically they're not trained to the same level that we are. Right. They can't come in in a crisis if, you know, yeah. the, you right. know. You know what I love about mm -hmm. this story? I mean, it's so well executed, of course. Thanks. There is this idea that there are countries around the world that have policy successes that we occasionally will benchmark ourselves mm -hmm. again not not favorably i'm thinking of education right mm -hmm. i took a similar trip a couple of years ago to oh, singapore yeah. where they have an extraordinarily successful high school to college pipeline and they and in particular it's at the lower rungs of the higher ed ladder in the trade school and in the community college realm where they've really figured out how to get enrollment mm -hmm. numbers and graduation numbers completion numbers to be successful um, you'll often hear you mention Finland, that mm -hmm. the public education performance in Finland ranks among the highest in the world or in, the, in those countries, kind of the Finland, Sweden of the world. They do really well. I wonder if we're not willing enough to consider the possibility that we haven't gotten everything figured out. You know, the, 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 it ought to, the, the state motto should be Texas, we know better. <laughs> that is almost always our Texas approach on this stuff. So. And w when the reality is that we have the potential to learn from the Polands of the world in right. the area of healthcare, or in Finland in terms of public ed, or Singapore in terms of higher ed, and yet we seem to be unwilling to make the connect. Right. Well, Marissa, where's your next international junket going to be on the maternal mortality beat? I don't know. I need to find, I need to find funding, uh, of course, very <laughs> important. Um, but, you know, I think the next step for us as a as the, for the Tribune is just to continue to provide this level of coverage. I mean, like I said, I, I've been here almost two years now. We've kind of really, I believe, have set the tone on maternal mortality coverage. We're covering all the different data issues involved. You know, we now have this story on midwives and really just trying to continue to look at what maternal care could be or should be in Texas. Great. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, we're going to swap you out for Emma, who's going to join us to talk about the um, looming immigration crisis on the border. So happy to have you. Yes. Thanks.
Just a reminder, if you're watching on social media, you can post your questions in the comments and we'll try to get to them. Uh, and before we hit our next topic here, I want to thank one more sponsor, the Texas State University System. The Texas State University System is Texas's first university system with seven institutions spanning 700 miles. Learn more at tsus.edu. Hi, Emma. Hello. Thanks for joining us. All right, so uh, we're coming basically back to the table here to have a conversation uh, around the border with all these sort of loads of political commentary, protest speeches. We just came on the heels of Independence Day where we had a woman basically clinging to the side of the Statue of Liberty on this particular issue, which was pretty amazing, actually. Um, tell me where things stand right now. Um, I, I think th where things stand right now is confusion, which is where they've been for a while now. The most interesting, I think, news point coming up is Tuesday, which is a court order deadline for the government to reunite the youngest children who were taken from their parents at the border. That's kids under five. Uh, I just got off a press call with HHS Secretary Alex Azar, who says that's about 100 kids. Uh, and there are questions about, you know, whether that'll happen. Only 100? Only 100 he said only 100. That's a different number than I've heard other places. Yeah. Another point of confusion, perhaps. Right. I mean, we'd heard as recently as last week that there were, you know, like only 600 kids had been reunited or something so maybe they've been hard at work over the weekend is that not the most common age range among the children oh maybe that been? that's a good question it's not most no. of the kids are above the age of five yeah, okay between six but and there seven. are a series right. of deadlines are there not beyond that deadline mm -hmm. tuesday there's a deadline to reunite people by phone right isn't there a, they're, they're, like a, they're supposed to be keeping parents and kids in touch yeah. they say twice a week i think it's clear that that's not happening in every case also we had an incredible story over the weekend by about, shannon right. about how like friggin complicated it is to get on the phone with your relatives correct yeah yeah another challenge but the government has almost till the end of july july 26th i believe is the date it's a thursday to reunite the older kids with their parents another challenge right all right and so in texas patrick democrats have been grappling with one particular element of this and that's how they feel about ice immigration and customs enforcement what's the debate playing out right now yeah, so this is all kind of all loosely tied together as far as current events go. But, um, you know, before you had Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez win this huge primary upset in New York, in, in some progressive or liberal circles, this idea of abolishing ICE, immigrations and customs enforcement, the, the main agency in charge of enforcing immigration law in the United States was starting to gain some traction. Then she won this primary in New York, and it was really foisted into the political mainstream in a way that we hadn't seen before. And uh, increasingly, Democrats in, in every state, including Texas, are, are having to uh, respond to this issue in some way because it's, it's certainly an issue that at least part of the Democratic base uh, is, is very fired up about and, quite frankly, I think in, emboldened about after what happened in New York. Obviously, New York is in Texas, but the conversation is nonetheless happening in some corners of the Democratic Party here. And so people like Beto O'Rourke, the, the U.S. Senate candidate, congressman from El Paso, he's gotten this question at a number of recent public events um, about, you know, would you abolish ICE? His initial response, he, he said that he'd he talked about the need to get rid of um, these tactics that are instilling fear in immigrant communities, and he said if that requires, you know, doing away with this agency, you know, restructuring it, uh, then I'm open to that. But he has not. Same, he has not called for it to be in abolished. the same. In the same exchange, he was point blank asked, "Right now, would you abolish ICE?" Right. And he said, "No, I don't know enough about 
um, how those laws would be enforced otherwise mm -hmm. if we don't have ICE. And this all kind of came to a head in some ways over the weekend or a <laughs> no, yeah. Over the fake the, weekend. The holiday yeah. weekend. <laughs> Over, Over the uh, July 4th yeah, midweek weekend. <laughs> he held a town hall in, in Rosenberg on Tuesday evening where a woman who had read his initial response to this uh, confronted him, you know, uh, pretty colorfully um, and said, you know, why are you, this is a terrorist organization. Um, why are you not em embracing the idea that we should abolish ICE? And he gave a very passionate response and he said, you know, uh, even before Trump was in office, I was introducing legislation to hold ICE and some of these immigration-related agencies more accountable than they currently are being held. He talked about how he was one of the first members of Congress to draw attention uh, to the tent city in Tornillo and how he went back and he was one of the first people to enter it. And then he said, you know, he was building up to this point. He said, so don't lecture me about what we need to do on the border and with immigrants because I'm doing everything I can. Um, and I'm going to continue to do everything I can. And this woman uh, continued to shout at him. And uh, it, was, it was quite a scene because most <laughs> his town halls, I mean, he certainly gets. Tend to be pretty lovey-dovey. Right, right? His town halls yeah. are usually like pretty. like Dave Matthews uh, concerts, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Not that he doesn't get hostile questions Stoned. from time to time. Um, but this was definitely, uh, you know, Rap quite a moment in terms of, you know, how his town halls tend, tend to go. Mm -hmm. he, he got the question again in Austin on July 4th, and he gave a, a, a bit of a different answer talking about how uh, if, we're deal if we're looking at this family separation crisis, it's not just ICE that is involved in it. It's HHS. As, as Emma just oh, talked man. about, it's it's CBP, and so he talked a little more broadly um, about you know who's who's culpable in, in some of these issues that are being raised. This is the this is the you hit exactly on the the, the, the problem here for them. Abolish ICE. ICE is a political issue. It is not a policy issue. Right. And to the degree that the conversation politically, I would submit, is around abolish ICE versus not. It's on the Republicans turf. It's a home game for them. It's about border security. If the focus is on the discussion of families and of children and separations and all that, then that's on the Democrats' turf. Then, that's a, then, then it's a home game for the Democrats. But if the conversation is around abolishing ICE, then it's a very quick pivot to a conversation around border security, which I think is a, is a, 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 a this a, the Democrats want to talk about abolishing ICE. Republicans also want the Democrats to be talking about right. abolishing sure, ICE. Sure, yeah, even though O'Rourke right? hasn't come out, you know, in full support of it. The fact Ted that there's Cruz confusion about his position uh, on that uh, is gle problematic for gleeful him. Right. that it's even being a, a point of discussion right, yeah, right now. What the Democrats need to do is talk about abolishing Trump if they want to make this issue theirs, because as Patrick says, this is a much more intersectional issue. Or they need to this keep is the about ICE. It's about HHS. It's about the policy kids. coming out of the White House. I mean, and the they Democrats need to keep the focus on kids. That's right, exactly exactly. Right. Yeah. So who has gone farthest on this in Texas, Patrick? I mean, toward the abolishing ICE. Like, where's you know, where's Julian Castro? Where's where's some of those other figures? Yeah, we, we wrote a story earlier this week, kind of rounding up some of the initial Democratic reactions to this discussion. And um, Al Green put out a statement, um, and he basically among let's you know, stay together. That was Al Green's <laughs> yeah, statement. Exactly. It's a hell of a press uh, you know, release. One line. That's it. You know, since this conversation has really flared up, he's the only member of Congress I've seen to come out in the Texas delegation mm -hmm. and straight up say we should abolish we should abolish ICE. And it was certainly more nuanced than that. And he talked about wanting to. Um, let the agency evolve, but he right. uttered the words, I want to abolish ICE, this, this, this is a guy who's calling for Trump's right. impeachment. And That's so, relatively conservative right. exactly. by comparison. I was going right. obviously, you know, I'm sure Republicans would love to, you know, extrapolate from that. He, he, he has certainly been one among the Democrats in the Texas delegation. He's been much more out there and aggressive in terms of pushing back on, the, on Trump and the Trump agenda. And so, um, 
while it's notable that he may be the only person exactly calling for this, I'm not ready to say that this is the clarion call of all Texan, Texas Democrats <laughs> right. at this point. Exactly. Well, while there are these conversations around abolishing ICE, another conversation, uh, Emma, that's being brought up a lot is sort of what is the state of asylum in the United States right now? And, you know, how are we sort of protecting people? It, it does, does asylum even exist anymore at this point, or is everything basically, like, frozen? I mean, we're hearing stories in some cases about people getting turned away at, you know, points of entry on the border. Um, what are you hearing and, um, you know, what's the conversation out there around people who are seeking that status? Yeah, at the same time as, as Democrats are calling to abolish ICE, I think the president in his own rhetoric on Twitter, as usual, is, is kind of calling for an end to the asylum process. He's saying, why do we have these long... Um, you know, court processes. Why are we giving these people lawyers? Why are we letting them free in our country for years as they await the asylum process? And kind of himself saying we shouldn't be doing this. Asylum, of course, is a decades-old, long-standing process for people to legally seek refuge in the country. Um, that's when they have a credible fear of political persecution. As the president points out, it's a protracted legal process. It can take years. A lot of times people are free in the country, sometimes working, sometimes not, while they wait for their uh, process to proceed. But we've seen, uh, increasingly under the Trump administration, barriers to the asylum process, including, as you said, even at the ports of entry, even at the bridges. People are being told to wait. They're sleeping on cardboard while they wait. They're told they can't seek, um, they can't seek asylum in the country. There's no room for them. They're going to be rejected all these kinds of things. I mean, how does that even, so where is asylum protected? Is it in the Constitution? I mean, is it like, how can you just decide that you're gonna tell people they can't seek asylum? I mean, that, so I, I think what we're seeing is subtle ways of rolling back. I, I don't think there's a specific word asylum in the Constitution. The United States has been accepting people who have credible fear of persecution in their home countries for decades, for centuries even. Um, but we're seeing subtler things that can be done by policy changes. For example, um, Jeff Sessions, the attorney general, has said basically almost categorically that victims of domestic violence and gang violence won't, that doesn't constitute a valid asylum claim in this country. And we're already um, hearing reports from the ground that people are being turned away for that reason. So that's not a change of laws. You know, we don't have to amend the Constitution to exclude hundreds, thousands of people. But let's, let's be clear that the president, as he did today, tweeting that if somebody shows up in our country seeking uh, an opportunity to be here, that we should say out as you would if somebody We're showed on up your on, your, on your lawn. <laughs> right. And that we don't need thousands of judges. Uh, you know, his tweets are kind of like the... Um, Air quotes judges. Well, well, his, his, his <laughs> yeah. Which is actually true. They're not real judges. His tweets yeah. are kind of like the point spreads for football games that they publish in the newspaper. It's for entertainment purposes only. Nobody should mistake his six in the morning rantings right. for the policy of this country until it becomes the policy of this country. That's mm -hmm. a big if or a big I until. At the same time, I think, you know, we see this bluster on Twitter. I don't think there's been a move yet to completely abolish the asylum process. But if you look back at the history of his presidency, the process is being rolled back. It's, and honestly, it's increasingly and, hard to seek asylum. Anybody who is surprised by what appears to be a complete departure from the norm after the last 18 months, mm -hmm. I mean, the idea that we're even talking about this as a possibility is kind of amazing. And oh, then on the stunning. other hand, it's not amazing. Go ahead, Patrick. I was going to say, you know, what Cruz and, uh, or at least Cruz has proposed is, you know, speeding up the asylum case right. processing deadline, uh, which there are a whole host of concerns that go along with that. I think he wants to get, at least he proposed getting it down to 14 days. And then you have 
immigration lawyers and various advocates saying there's no way you can. He put called for a bunch of new judges, didn't he? And he yeah, also he, wants he, to double the number. Yeah, he and Cornyn yeah. are on the. Both. You know, they right. have different numbers, but they want to increase the number of judges. And obviously, you have, which is kind of Republican orthodoxy when it comes to this. But then you have Trump on Twitter blowing Same. that up every yeah. day. No judges, yeah. forget it. No judges, right? <laughs> I mean, we had an, we have an, a video on our site right now of a 21-year-old mother with a two-year-old daughter, basically sitting on the bridge in Brownsville, saying, you know, uh, I'm here because I'm fleeing a husband who I'm afraid of. And, you know, they're basically being told, okay, well, yeah, but that's not a legal grounds for asylum anymore. So she's basically like, well, I'm just going to sit here and Hanging wait. Hanging on the bridge, right? Yeah. yeah. With a baby. I mean, with a two-year-old. It's like, it's, anyway, this is just crazy, preposterous to me. Um, so in the midst of all of this, we have a new Mexican president who Republicans, including Cruz, are quickly going after. What did Cruz say in our non-weekend weekend? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> he was at a campaign stop in uh, Waco on Tuesday afternoon. It was asked about this and what it would mean for Mexico-U.S. relations. And he had some, some pretty strong words about this guy, at least uh, compared to other Texas Republicans and, and Democrats who approached his election a little more gingerly. Uh, you know, Cruz warned that he is this far-left socialist, um, very radical figure. And if he lives up to some of what Cruz described as the anti-American rhetoric that he used in the campaign trail, it could be a real problem uh, for the United States. And uh, Cruz kind of used his election to, you know, press this argument that we need to do everything we can to secure our border. Cruz, he singled out these remarks that are in dispute that the newly, Mex newly elected Mexican president made while campaigning about uh, it kind of floated around in the conservative blogosphere that he had urged people to mass migrate to the United States and that it was their, quote, their, their human right to do that. Mm -hmm. Did um, he actually say it? Well, that's yeah. said in well, it, is, it is in dispute. Politi right. Politifact called it pants on fire. Oh, there's, wow. I, <laughs> that sounds quite disputed. There, there's a passage. It's, I think it has to do with the translation. I'm not a fluent Spanish speaker, uh, but it is, uh, <laughs> at the very least, very much in dispute whether he said that. But Cruz pounced on those remarks um, to, to argue that, you know, this is why we need to build a wall. This is why we need to secure the border. Um, but again, uh, it looks, Politifact said it was pants on fire that this guy said that. Mm. So. Anything any of you want to weigh in on before I talk about the bag ban? Well, I just, while we're on the subject of Cruz and O'Rourke and, and this issue it coming as it does in the middle of this campaign, I do think it's interesting that we are full on in the middle of campaign season right now. You know, it is so rare for there to be a, a race that's even marginally competitive at the statewide level. And that includes federal races at the top of the ticket. And the Cruz O'Rourke race, while we had a poll that had it close-ish, and there was a poll out a couple of days ago that had it a little less close-ish, nonetheless, the days of, uh, you know, 20 or more point Republican wins uh, have, have been consistent, constant for decades. And, you know, I think the general sense is that this Cruz O'Rourke race is closer than those races typically have been. How much closer remains to be remains to be determined. And I just think this whole roiling set of issues that we're talking about, these and others, we just don't know yet how this mm -hmm. is going to play in. I'm skeptical about whether the, the stuff on the border is any more going to produce this groundswell of new voters or, un, or li, you know, unlikely voters as likely voters come in the fall. Or our but, amazing fellow David had a story. Who knows, he, I mean, though. he went to a church on the border right next to an, a detention right. center, and basically everybody at the church was like, you know, send them back. Right. <laughs> laws yeah. are laws. Laws yeah. are laws. Yeah. Yeah, I would just add, too, we kind of got at this earlier, uh, but this is a volatile political issue for, for both sides, to be yeah. clear. I mean, we could talk well, it all day. It really we could, is. We could talk all day about abolishing being a thorn in the side for Democrats, yeah. but you have someone like Cruz is a great example of this. 
on this family separation crisis, his initial remarks on it were viewed by many as, as defensive. I don't know if you would call it supportive, but at least defensive. Um, then several days later, he's introducing legislation to try to stop it, in, yep. in, at least in his characterization. And then on the campaign trail this week, he was you know, talking about how it was a mistake for the Trump administration to pursue the policies that led to this in the first place. And so, I, I mean, in my observation, I've definitely seen him shift right. his, his tone on this. And um, I think just the point that I make is that it is, it's a tough issue, I think, for I just for don't think we right know. Now. I don't yeah. think we know. So are you going to start asking for plastic bags again at HEB? Not that you even shop at HEB. I, I bring uh, sure uh, South by Southwest. Guy. I bring South by Southwest uh, tote bags. <laughs> I bring a Texas Tribune tote bag. So you know, there used to be a really good Texas Tribune tote bag that had a, a piece of fabric in it that had a little clip yeah. for keys. That was my favorite uh, of our tote bags. I I think I know someone who can like you know restart. No, that apparently those are all gone. Oh, you <laughs> mean like if order only we new knew ones? The guy yeah. in charge. Yeah. Spend any money on anybody? No. No swag. So, I got mine. So what do you think is going to happen in Austin? So Austin has basically rolled back now that the Texas Supreme Court has said that bag bans are not constitutional. Austin has rolled back its bag ban. Do you think Austinites are going to take note and change their tune, or do you think they're just going to stick with the well, can Austinites quo? change their tune? Don't Austin businesses have to change their tune? I well, mean, yeah. Well, either can, right? If you keep showing up with your reusable bags, or yeah, but, but, if but, but, you're showing up saying, give me my plastic Is Central Market <laughs> obligated, or if you're, unlike me, Wheatsville obligated? Are you making fun of me shopping at Wheatsville? I uh, absolutely what is am. I don't think I know. You've never been to Wheatsville? No. Pa Patrick, let me make this quickly. Not, oh my your, God. not your kind of place. Okay. Um, uh, do these places have to now give is out like bags? Sprouts? Is it like Sprouts? Yeah, yeah. you can't. I hope Wheatsville is list someone at Wheatsville. Do I, do I need to this? go through the whole hierarchy of yeah, what's how the spectrum? The Sprouts is the same as Whole Foods, except the people who shop there are damaged. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get Wheatsville to be a, the newest sponsor of the Tribcast, and you're just going to have to suck it up. Wheatsville is a rung below. Um, Sprouts. In the oh, wake yeah. of the Supreme yeah. Court don't, ruling, don't, don't, I was talking to environmental lawyers around who definitely emphasized the point that shoppers and businesses still have a choice here, right? If you don't want to see plastic bags in your city, you can bring your, reusu your reusable bags. Wheatsville and all other businesses, uh, I don't believe there's any mandate that they have to sell plastic bags It's their bags choice. Now. They can decide not it's to have plastic choice. bags. Right. 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 Yeah. And it's your choice whether you have to listen to this Tribcast. <laughs> Choose not to. <laughs> right. That's all the time we have. Thanks to Shiny Ribs for our music and to Lone Star College, Texas Central, and Texas State University System, our sponsors this week. On behalf of Evan, Patrick, Emma, Marissa, Marissa and our producers, Michael, Ray, and Bobby, this is Emily. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. Texas talking. When was the last time you went to Wheatsville? Oh, Patrick, it is like it's a wonderful neighborhood grocery store. It's the worst. Rodney shops there too.